All right. Well, it's Tuesday, May 13th, and it's 3.30 p.m. Chris, Simon, and I are here on our Google Hangout. Chris, how's how's life at the Girl Scout office? Uh, life is really good at the Girl Scout office. We just came off a really busy weekend and a busy week for me doing STEM activities basically all around the state from Enid to Chickasha and had a uh, wonderful event and more called Fiercely Fearless, which was a weather safety event uh, put on for the people and more. That is and, awesome. Yeah, it was. It was really good. We made anemometers so as a little STEM thing to do on the side. So it was fun. Very good. Very good. Well, we're expecting some folks to be able to uh, be viewing. Um, we've had, you know, it's we've this the time. May, first of all, is never a good time in May to do anything. Yeah. But, um, you know, we're just doing this after school and uh, we may have we may have a couple others join us. I'm not sure, but I, I'm sure we'll have some folks on the recording. This is our fifth STEM Seeds interview. And uh, Amy Luffelholtz, who's our other four or five STEM teacher here in Yukon, and I started doing this uh, actually during a snow day that we still had in March. And we just want an opportunity to be able to collaborate with people and get ideas. And a lot of it's selfish because we have no time, basically, in, yeah. in, in the day, you know, to collaborate. And so... Um, Ooh, the leadership meeting is going on now. Hopefully we won't have too many bells. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, check us out at stemseeds.org. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, but we've just got confirmation that we're going to actually do a two day STEM workshop. This is short notice, but it's going to be Wednesday and Thursday, June 5th and 6th. It'll be, it'll be free, uh, here in Yukon. And it, anyway, this literally just has gotten put, put together this, this last week, but we're excited to, you know, we got to collaborate to learn, basically, and we got to model, model learning. And uh, it's great to get to talk to folks like Chris and, and get ideas. So, Chris, tell us a little bit about your professional background, and uh, then we'll get into a little bit about what, what you think STEM is and, and talk about some of the awesome projects you've been doing. What what are you doing now, How and how did you get there? All right. Uh, right now I work for Girl Scouts Western Oklahoma. Uh as far as STEM education and my path to getting there, it started, oh, I'd say 2003, 2002, 2003, when I became an educator. I had just come off a severe illness and was looking for a career change. And a lot of people had said, hey, you do really well with kids. You should think about teaching. So I did some substitute teaching, found out I really liked it. Um, so I got my... To not be burned by substitute teaching, I would think, is a, <laughs> is a wonderful thing, because that can be a dangerous thing to try. You want to know what made it lucky, though? I only had to substitute teach for about two weeks, and then I got uh, came across a great principal uh, in the Yukon District who uh, wanted me to become a mentor, more or less, for one young man who was struggling. Young man's a junior now in high school. And I thought, you know what? I really enjoy this. I like being with these kids. I like doing this. So I got my alternative certification. Uh, my first year teaching, I was a first grade teacher. And then for the next uh, seven years, eight years, I can't remember, I taught fifth grade math and science. And then as I've heard Amy describe on some of your other podcasts, um, the opportunity came where they built a new high school, turned the uh, old high school into a quote unquote single middle school and turned the old uh, uh, middle schools into fourth and fifth grade centers. And um, thanks to Dr. Rhodes, Fred Rhodes, who's now in Putnam City, but was a great leader for us in Yukon. He decided that uh, after going to a conference in OU, he thought that STEM was very important and that we needed to have a specials class dedicated to it. And thankfully, I was offered one of the positions. Um, 
I went down to OU to get some training. I figured, you know, I've taught math and science. I didn't really know about the STEM movement. I went to OU because they had an engineering component for a two-week program called C3MS, Creating Critical Connections in Math and Science. And it was a math and science partnership um, cohort meant for uh, math teachers and science teachers to go together to learn how to co uh, collaborate so that they were interacting together and working together. Through that introduction, I was introduced to really what STEM is about. It's not just one or the other or just here's our science portion, here's our um, portion of math and stuff like that, but really thinking about it all as one uh, curriculum. And I just brought what I learned to back to my classroom, um, introduced some stuff to Dr. Rhodes and, uh, and Amy at a conference we went to. And I think the thing that was really neat is we each made it our own. Amy's made hers her own and done what she thought was STEM and valuable for her. I made my, uh, my own. And I thought that was really good because it was a way for each of us to see what worked and what didn't work, you know, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And then I taught STEM in, uh, at IES for two years. And then I had an illness come up and the job opportunity opened while I was recovering. And I thought, you know, this seems like it could really work for me. I think I need to look into this. And thankfully, Girl Scouts of Western Oklahoma hired me as their STEM coordinator. Um, I was initially hired to write uh, STEM curriculum for um, Girl Scouts Journey program called It's Your Planet, Love It. In case you don't know what a journey is, they're meant to be leadership journeys for girls to go on to learn leadership skills, to do things for the community. And in some of these leadership journeys, they have activities. And I designed STEM-oriented activities, or as STEM as I could make them, out of the sessions that they had. So that's where I'm at right now. I've gotten the uh, DAISY through junior, which is basically K through five curriculum written. The sixth grade through 12th grade curriculum is in a very rough draft form, but almost done. And we're ready to do a rollout of these kits that I've made uh, in a little bit. And I hate to keep talking, but the kits are meant for leaders who may or not may not be comfortable delivering this curriculum. Uh, you know, we have leave some leaders who just graduated high school, maybe didn't graduate high school at all. To we've got some of our leaders are uh, vice presidents at Dell Computers. So we've got a wide range of people who want to lead girls. So I wrote the curriculum as a script, which they could follow if they want, or they could just take the highlights out of it and make it their own, which is really what I think is best. But we wanted to make it so that leaders would feel comfortable delivering STEM curriculum. Yeah, and you're really equipping and empowering those exactly. uh, leaders to be able to to do the the STEM activities, the hands-on fun stuff that's going to get girls engaged and get them loving it. And I like that you said fun because that's, to me, I think that fun gets taken out of it for kids. And if they can develop a passion for it um, through these activities, then maybe they can see, you know what, maybe this particular way this material was presented to me in school wasn't as fun, but I can see where it is now. I can see where it leads. So that's what works for me. That's right. Well, we do have a few viewers and okay. got some questions. Um, and I'll try to kind of jump back and forth here a little bit okay. uh, to be able to share some of those. Um, let's see. D. Wu had asked about the agenda for the STEM workshop. We're, we're definitely doing some Minecraft EDU. Um, one of the things I've been wanting to do is figure out, gosh, how can I share what I've learned this year you know, doing Minecraft EDU, and really, I have to do that in our lab. So I literally just just submitted this afternoon the 
the application for the building use and our building's already in use for, for summer school. So anyway, keep those questions coming in, in the chat. I haven't yet figured out, and this is my own, you know, problem with the, There's a Q and a tool, but supposedly you have to turn it on. Huh? You have to turn it on on the Google event page. I've not, I've never figured out how to do that. So on our Google event, uh, you can just put chat stuff and we'll, we'll try to, to tune in with that. Before I ask you to kind of define STEM, Chris, you also have PBS television experience. Do you yeah. not? I remember yeah. asking you at one point, what, what is better with, uh, you know, YouTube video to like be right in the middle or to look at the side or whatever. And I remember you advising <laughs> me, I think that YouTube's changed that a little bit. The professionals used to say, always look at the side. So how did, well, did you, were you a broadcast journalism major in school? Yeah. Or how did you get into and that? I worked, yeah, I, uh, got my degree in, uh, broadcast journalism writing. And I worked for approximately four years at PBS as a student employee and then as a contract employee. And in our courses, you know, you had to learn some production stuff as well. And there's always the rule of thirds, of course, where you want to make sure that the eyes across that top third of the there you go. And that uh, if you have a guest who's to one side, you should be like one side of the uh, of the cross in the middle of the thing. And, Make sure that there's room underneath for their name and their, you know, credentials and things like that. So, yeah, I learned a little bit of that stuff. Uh, uh, and, and believe it or not, that sort of thing has come in real handy when it comes to just simply taking pictures around the house. Just, you know, composition wise, my wife always says, man, you take such good pictures It's because I follow these rules I learned over 20 something years ago. That's right. So, that's right. Yeah. Now everyone's got a camera in their pocket and. And now they do. Yeah. We can all be publishers. So, yeah. and, you know, speaking of PBS, I think this Sunday or maybe it was this last week, Oklahoma Horizon is a PBS group mm-hmm. that's out of OSU. And so I had a chance to go up there to Stillwater for a STEM event that they did a, a month or so ago. And then they they did interviews with us on the panel and they came to our school, interviewed our kids. And they even came to my house uh, when I was teaching over video. And so anyway, there's going to be a little little PBS deal. So I might, I might put that in show notes. We're trying to do pretty extensive show notes. We've got a Google doc, uh, but then there'll be other links. I'm sure that we'll, we'll kind of mention. So Chris, how do you define STEM? You're working with, um, you know, a lot of non-educators, parents, uh, people in the community. STEM's really new. So how, what's your perspective on what STEM is and how do you explain it to any, anybody who is, is not familiar with the concept? It's funny that you say that because when I first started, you know, being in the education field, you've got this really, you've got to be doing this part of this. You've got to try and integrate everything. And what I discovered by coming to Girl Scouts, some people regard just doing a science activity or demonstration as, oh, we've done STEM. And, and it's not that. And I can't remember who the gentleman was. I think it was your second po- um, podcast. Uh, uh, Brian, Brian Crosby from Nevada then. Yeah, from Nevada. And I like I loved his definition of STEM, but I've since come to appreciate the fact that, yes, it should be a way of thinking and a way that you put all of those together. But when you've got a 50 minute time frame, which a lot of these leaders work with an hour to an hour and a half, you can't always integrate every component. I have to go into some neighborhoods and some communities where, um, believe it or not, having a computer or anything is a luxury. They may have a phone but they don't necessarily have a laptop or they don't have an iPad or they don't have anything like that. So technology is limited. Sometimes bandwidth is w- limited. So you give these opportunities available to them, but they can't always do uh, those sort of things. And what's funny is when I first came into Girl Scouts, like I said, a lot of people just thought 
STEM is, you know, we're doing this fun science thing and this is STEM. And it's really like, no, for me, STEM, and I approached it from the engineering side, is solving problems. And then for what I did when I first started in the Yukon School District, I would always use the engineering component first and then bring the science into that. Uh, for instance, uh, an example would be we would do the uh, let's build a roller coaster assignment where I just use. Have you ever seen that foam insulation they put around copper pipes? Mm-hmm. And I would cut that in half, attach the two sides together. So the kids had approximately 12 feet of track. And we would talk about you have to make there's a, a bunch of that in my closet still that I yes. you know, need. Yes, to they're still in there. <laughs> and please do this. I have no problem with that. Uh, they uh, they would build a track. The track had to have a hill, a loop and a jump on it. And then we would talk about potential and kinetic energy. Uh, we would bring the science into that and we would talk about Newton's laws of motion. We would talk about all of that stuff. And uh, on the, the thing that was great is half the kids would do those, whereas the other half would use the iPad technology. And they would um, use this great app that I got off of iTunes called uh, Roller Coaster Physics. And the thing that was really wonderful about Roller Coaster Physics is that they had a graph that was constantly running that showed the, the increase and decrease in potential and kinetic energy as the roller coaster the kids built uh was being run as it was running through. And it was just fantastic that the things we were talking about, they could have right there on the tablet as well as see it in person with the activity that they were doing. So I try to get as many elements of those as I can into every lesson. And it's not always easy. Right, right. Well, that's, that is a great lesson idea and an example of just the kind of things with stem seeds that we, we want to get out is, you know, things, things that we can do, you know, sometimes they're going to connect to technology and sometimes they're just going to be hands on. So, Solving problems. I know one of the, we uh, we taught a scratch club together. Yes. Uh, spring break before last, yeah. and you are so good at being Socratic and questioning and not jumping in and, and solving that. Can you talk a little bit about how you see your role as the teacher and facilitator of lessons? You know, being different than just the deliverer of the of the content. Okay, I always, this is the way I would run my typical classroom. And, you know, I, I love one of the questions you asked me uh, a while ago, and it's stuck in my head. I th- I can remember at one of our STEM committee meetings, in case those of you out there don't know, Wes serves on our STEM committee here at Girl Scouts Western Oklahoma, and his opinion is greatly valued. But he, we talked about, it was well, this was after the meeting, and he said something about how a STEM classroom looks. And, and I'm going to get back to what you said, but it's really controlled chaos you know what i mean you've got to be uh, able to a regular classroom teacher who doesn't understand that i don't think would survive coming into a classroom like we've got because although you think it's loud kids are actually interacting and doing what they need to do but it can get loud in there and my goal my role for the kids i always said if i talk more than five or ten minutes Mm -hmm. telling you how to do it i've done something wrong right so i try and give them as and i teach the science as i'm going from table to table you know, uh, delivering the same message to this one, to this one, to this one about remember what we talked about potential energy. What if we lift this up? What's going to happen to this? If we're when is what's it going to do the kinetic energy stuff like that? And, and that we, mini that little mini lesson interactions where the gold is right because yeah. that's when the aha can really you know yep. come on. The and they see it. And as simple as saying, if a kid says, "Well, my marble it's jumping off the track when I go around here," and you say, "What can you do? What's going to slow that down?" Well, if I build a hill here. Yeah, you try that. Or uh, what if I lower the the uh, what if I lower this part here? Try it, see what it does, and never give them the answer. You right. know, I never give a kid the answer at all. 
And that's something that was such a good encouragement when we did that scratch club or the scratch, uh, you know, camp together. And, and, you know, that's just, that's a, an important teaching approach that we may not necessarily hear a lot about today. And it's, you know, high stakes testing and, and all that is oh. letting kids figure it out and really inquiry where we're setting up an environment with challenges and with yeah. resources, but kids are able to really explore and, and then, you know, discover things themselves with guidance. And so yes. that's, uh, I love that. So you said solving problems. Is yeah. there, is there anything else? Like when, when you're working now with Girl Scouts, how do you, I guess you do a little bit of training with people before they get the kits, ideally. ideally what do you try to set up for them? How are you, how are you setting up the, the lesson for them as what far I, as what they want to do? Yeah, and that's what's really hard. I know when I personally go out and deliver the curriculum in front of the leaders for their kids, I can do exactly what I talked about. When I'm writing the curriculum, I literally put in the script, say this, ask this. And those ask things are really the Socratic part that we're talking about. What happens if, you know, and I give them a list of things that the kids could possibly say. You know, if they say this, if they say this, if this is uh, make sure that you mention this at some point. So when I say a script, yes, there's a component that they read straight through, but I'm kind of writing in that script, uh, that Socratic way where they ask the questions that lead kids to get to the answers themselves. A thought I just had for you, uh, I don't know if you, you thought of doing this or are, but you know, maybe putting in QR codes. I've, in the, uh, last book that I did, I've, or I just, rather than put, you know, actual video into the ebook I, i've said hey qr code because then people can scan yeah. Yeah. that's not something we always think about with curriculum but for things like that or, or kind of an overview or i don't know that that may be something uh people are learning online a lot and it's not like people are going to probably sit down and watch an hour-long thing but you know anyway that, exactly. may, that may be a piece for you to be able to insert you know yourself and some of that philosophy because um I think that, well, Brian Crosby talked about STEM being a culture and that it's yeah. not just this separate thing. We really want everybody to be, you know, integrating things and, yes. and finding the meaning of the, what, of the math and the science and, you know, how they fit together. So anyway, and when you talk about that, the math and science thing, that was an OU. Was that a, was it a STEM specific? No. It, um, the way it worked is it was a four-year program if you wanted to go to all four, and it was meant for teams of math and science teachers in middle school. I was lucky that they let me go. Uh, I was a, you know, a fifth-grade teacher at the time. I said, hey, I'm doing this. They said, sure, come on down. I didn't have a partner. I didn't have anything like that. I just basically got to sit in, and I would work with other people, but I got to experience the lab component. We worked in a lab on campus. I worked in the biomedical uh, engineering lab. And I got to learn how to clean cells off of tissue and plant cells onto tissue. And then in the afternoon, we had our pedagogy component. And I was really, really lucky. And then that pedagogy component was STEM-oriented. They were focusing on the science and the math, but a lot of the activities were engineering involved, and they were STEM-focused. So it really gave me a good two-week training, uh, two-week professional development where I got a handle to see how to conduct something like that in the classroom, how to bring it to a classroom. And that was just valuable. I mean, it was the, I think the single thing, and I'm not trying to brag, but that may have made my first year teaching as successful as I think it was starting that program off. Well, so. I'm, I was, I've been talking with Christy Paradise, who is a, an elementary I teacher saw that. in the city, and she's got a, uh, a robot club. She was involved in organizing our play date this last weekend, and then April, 
Gustafson, who's at John Marshall, and there there is a new grant that's coming out that's all PD. And and you know Amy Luffelholtz will say that the the math and science grant that she was a part of was just huge. Being able to be a student and yeah. see how lessons really can work. I mean, these are important things. So, well, let me mention a couple uh, comments that have come in the chat, and um, and then we'll kind of get into some lesson ideas. Uh, sure. Peggy George has mentioned that. Uh, and I'll put this in the show notes. There was an, a webinar last night with Chris Kraft called Breaking Down STEM, and uh, there was a great live binder with it. And so anyway, I'm going to put that link, um, a lot of focus on engineering. I'll put that link into our show notes. And also this Saturday, there's a there's a great uh, series called Classroom 2.0 Live, and it's for us in Central Time. It's at 11 a.m. every Saturday. But the one that will be coming up this Saturday is going to be Aaron Maurer, and it's going to be talking about stuff he's doing with STEM, PBL, robotics, and student voice. So we'll do those links. And we've got a question. This is I love interaction because it's like it's why it's live and not just, you know, recorded by ourselves. Yeah. Kylie Hill is the new STEM coordinator for Piedmont Schools. And awesome. uh, she actually came to, to my class this last week. Was that right? Because, yeah, today's Tuesday. So last week she was here like uh, I think Tuesday. And her question, and I'm going to put it to you, Chris, she says, as a new STEM teacher for the first time, what do you feel I should have as guaranteed necessities to get started for K-4 next year? Thinking about, I guess, supplies and just what what she needs. She'll be on a cart, I think, going between buildings, and she doesn't have a, a room to herself, so that'll be a little challenge. For someone starting out, what would you say are, are key necessities in terms of supplies and setup? Believe it or not, as far as starting off, there is a lot of things that are just laying around the house that you can use for STEM activities, things as simple as a five-ounce cup and some marshmallows. Um, I would make sure that I've got plenty of tape. I would make sure that, I mean, even something as simple as tape and index cards. Um, I remember when I got a grant from Cox, uh, if it weren't for that grant, I would have been able to get a lot of the supplies that I got uh, for that first year. But um, I just bought a lot of things like tape, cardboard, uh, index cards, post-it notes, simple stuff that you're like, well, what sort of STEM activity can we do with this? But if you really look online, and some of my favorite websites for activities are EGFI, uh, Engineering Go For It, which is really valuable resource for STEM activities. Um, uh, believe it or not, the UK has a great one uh, called Think Center. Center, of course, spelled in the uh, Anglo way. Uh, Say that one one more time. Think Center. Think Center. Yeah, Think Center. I think it's thinkcenter.co.uk. I'm not positive of that, though. And um, and I just find all sorts of valuable things. See, for me, as an elementary teacher, it was important to have relatively inexpensive materials that I could buy bulk of and keep around for a long time. So things like... Um, Oh, uh, craft sticks, stuff like that. Supply yourself with that. And there's really a lot of things you can do with it. A great lesson, if anyone's interested, just using cardboard. Uh, you need two pieces of cardboard, approximately four inches by four inches, let's say like that. And, uh, four index cards, some tape, and five ounce cup and marshmallows. And that really doesn't add up to a lot of money. The kids have to make a lunar lander. And you, they're told, and here's where the math comes in, and that's why it's perfect for, like, second, third, fourth grade. They build a lander uh, where their marshmallow, when you drop it from a height of 12 inches, so the kids are using math by measuring, using a ruler, uh, dropping their device from a height of 12 inches, their marshmallow has to stay in the cup. And the way I always start by teaching this uh, project is by doing a demonstration 
where the marshmallow is always going to fall out at least once. And I say, now, guys, you're going to have to build something for NASA where when you drop it from this height using shock absorbers, uh, that the marshmallow is not going to fall out. And um, and I always start off by just dropping the cup and I see the marshmallow bounce out. Do it again. Maybe the marshmallow stays in. And I say to them, I say, hey, guys, um, would you want to ride a roller coaster where they said, well, it works half the time? And they're going to say, no. I say, well, you need to test it at least five times then. And then they build their device. And I show them how to do the accordion fold back and forth. I said, there's a possibility. Maybe you use that. I roll a index card into a circle like that. And I say, uh, you can't. Maybe you can stand it up and down. But maybe, you know, the air that's inside there will compress it. I don't know. Maybe you use a parachute style. And they say, and that, But one of the rules is they can't cover the cup. Well, how are we supposed to do that? I don't know. You know, and if they put wings on the thing, the air resistance slows it down. So it will stay in the cup every time. No joke. I had some kids in Chickasha last week at the YMCA down there. And this is a broad range. I've got kids from first grade up to about fifth grade in that class. And one of the third grade kids, his went as high as six feet oh, without, wow. yeah, without having a marshmallow fall out. So, uh, and it's, it was inexpensive. It really was relatively inexpensive to do. So it's possible. But it's hard. So I would just say tape is a major, major yeah, one. Right. Index cards. I mean, simple little things like that. And using resources like EGFI, which has a lot of activities that are built specifically for, you know, with a lot of cheaper material that makes it really cost effective for schools and for me as a teacher. I mean, don't get me wrong. My last year teaching, I went out and bought a lot of stuff on my own or right. through the kindness of strangers, had some stuff donated like. Ace did a great job uh, donating paint stirring sticks. Sonic is always great about straws. You need to use a lot of straws. So. And I learned uh, we did uh, the cantilever span lesson. That oh, that's great. Told about, and uh, I've got you know sixty dollars of washers right over, and paint sticks right over here. And evidently Lowe's, when they do a school donation like that, usually goes up to about seventy five bucks. So. You know, if you've, you've got some stuff, I talked to the manager. Of course, I went, I had on my tie and my badge. <laughs> so I was yeah. looking official. I wasn't wearing my flip flops, but you know, seriously, they were, they were awesome, uh, donating that. I mean, I was ready to pay if I needed to, but, yeah. um, I think to, so Kylie, it'd be good. Maybe we can start putting together a list and that might be something that, uh, Amy and I can do. If you didn't catch this, we are going to do a workshop uh, that'll be free here at Independence on June 5th and 6th. It's a Thursday, a Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, short notice, but we've had different people kind of come in to check out our program. So anyway, that's and I want a supply list for a makerspace because that's one of my goals for next year uh, to get a 3D printer via grant or via donation and to, uh, you know, get a workbench and some, you know, some tools and, you know, stuff that we can we can use to to build stuff. You know, Chris, we were using the, the glue guns today uh, with some of the fact, <laughs> I need to go. Maybe I can go grab. There's one amazing rocket. We're doing water bottle rockets right now. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think getting together a supply list, I'd like to see what other people do. That may be, that may be a good thing to crowdsource, yeah. uh, too, you know, is like just to have different people put down. Hey, what's your starting starting of the year? uh you know, list look like, and I, I'll tell you, I'm almost out of duct tape. So this is absolutely <laughs> right. That's a, that's yeah. a need. So we'll keep the questions coming. If you want to put those into the uh, Google event and I'll, you know, I'll pass those on to, to Chris, probably to field first. And I apologize if that wasn't helpful, Kylie. No, no, 
no, it's all good. Like, there's so many things that you could get. Uh, but I really think, you know, your list should be based on some of the stuff that you've looked up that you're comfortable delivering. You say, hey, I can do this. I can do this. What supplies would you need to do those activities? And I think it's really should be driven by that more than me saying, hey, fill up on index cards and tape and stuff like that. Tape is going to be a major one, but you're not going to go wrong getting duct tape. So that's yeah, <laughs> of any kind. Yeah, you're not going to at all. Well, and I, I mean, one of the lessons there's there's different ones uh, that Amy Leffelholtz has done. She does a really fun one with um, tongue depressors to make um little catapults and yeah. and that's one of the ones I'm doing you know she's written now a uh, kind of a booklet and she's planning to not repeat you know for fourth and fifth I'm I'm not I haven't got that advanced yet so we're just kind of we've done the same things with both grades but so I'm going to end up change, changing it up but that's one for next year I did that my first year what I decided to do before I even started the job was I went through and I looked at different activities and I picked out, I'd say, well, this is good more for what I want to do with fifth grade. This is good for more what I wanted to do with fourth grade. So I've got a fifth grade book and a fourth grade book with a lot of the activities that I did uh, already in them. It's been modified or should be modified since then. But I do have such a thing. And yeah. I found that valuable because it not only helped me with what, what Kylie's problem is as far as buying supplies, but keeping me on track so I didn't feel like I was scrambling trying to find stuff all the time to do. I had a thing. Oh, now we're going to do this. This ties into this next. So let's go to this. Right. So it was valuable to have a plan. Yeah. Well, and there's definitely curriculums out there. Um, John Rex Charter School is opening in Oklahoma City this year as a K2. It'll be going up, I think, to five. They're going to be a STEM focused school in all grade levels. Uh, they're going to use Project Lead the Way. We heard from um, Henry Ingerson in the, I think it was our last interview, maybe um, fourth one about uh, engineering as elementary yep. as another STEM curriculum. One of the things I just talked to a, a STEM teacher. Uh, she's in Choctaw and she's a high school STEM teacher. And I think they do project lead the way. And, um, you know, she's she doesn't have to write her curriculum. It's all provided. I'd, I'd asked her, hey, have you shared some of that or the or the lessons that? Oh, no, it's copyrighted. And so anyway, there's it. There's it. There are different things presented when there's a, a curriculum that's here. You know, use it. Yeah. I think that can take us kind of a load off to, to, to not have to figure so many things out. But at the same time, I think the sharing part of all this is is awesome. And we want to encourage that. So. I'll tell you what, I mean, my first year, I don't want to say I was protective, but I guess I wasn't aware of the value of collaboration. And really, since I've more since I've become a part of, well, since I worked with you, my second year in STEM, uh, Wes was a uh, a coach, a technology coach for us. And I really learned a ton. Thank you. <laughs> it was fantastic. But really, that collaborative part, especially here with Girl Scouts, is valuable and uh, I, I would love to share the stuff we do because, for me, this needs to be out for everybody if they want to use it. If you don't, that's okay. But there's a value to that because when I first started and I tried finding STEM curriculum out there, it wasn't there. I right. mean, STEM was just starting to be the buzzword. It was big in, like, the East Coast with Virginia, places close to Washington, D.C., but it wasn't really big here in um, in the Midwest or Oklahoma or anything like that. You may have seen sprinkles of it. So trying to find curriculum was hard. Now, when you go online to look for curriculum, it's all over the place. And it's not always great. And, and sometimes it costs you money to use. 
And to me, this we should be in the job of educating kids, all of us, into how to be problem solvers. To me, that's the true focus of STEM, to be logical thinkers and problem solvers. If they decide they don't want to be a scientist or an engineer or anything, anything else, we've taught them how to be a problem solver. That's so right. that's the value for me. Absolutely. A couple comments from the chat and then something else here that a, that a student handed me. Um, D. Wu uh, asked if we know about geeksok.com, that it's a group run by Troy Kuhn, who's a certified teacher. I, ha I haven't checked that out, so we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> Geeks OK. And then Peggy George says that her granddaughter made her a s'more in the microwave and got to – Got to see what happens to marshmallows in the microwave. Fun. Nice. Yeah. Tell her to put tell her to put some soap in a microwave. Yeah. Put right. Some. Exactly. We did for kitchen chemistry. Yeah, uh, we did you tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was great. And you know, we made a connection today to that as well. Um, uh, we were watching. We'll talk about geek of, week, geek of the week links. And there's this one that talks about asteroid mining. And the guy who's the co-founder of this planetary resources uh, holds up a water bottle and says, I think it's it's platinum is 21 times the density of water. So you think about the weight. And so I was able to say to the kids, do you remember we did the soda float? You know, yeah. which one floated? They said, oh, it was the diet. Well, why? Well, because the sugar. Anyway, that it was like, yeah, it's a good moment where they have yeah. this hands-on experience. And then we watch this video and there's there's more meaning to it. So. And the value in that was the hands-on experience where the knowledge got in there. And now when you talk about it, it's right. a concrete. And I thought that was going to be the dumbest sinner that we had. Like there were eight of them. I'm like, there's just, you know, yeah. diet drinks and the kids loved it. Of course, we did have some that wanted to shake the drinks. And, yeah. you know, there's all these uh, group collaborative learning center skills. Like that's the workshop I should take this summer. And I maybe I'll seek this out, you know, tips for, you know, organizing your groups and just you're always – uh, either putting out fires or trying to, you know, do forest, do, doing fire prevention. And just, yeah. but, it, but it's all good. And, and that the kids love the open ended nature of that yes. because we had balance scales and um, what else? And they were floating them and there was something else besides the balance scales. But just it was open ended exploration. But like you said earlier, the gold was. And I had to get over there every time to ask them, okay, so which one floated? Well, why is that? Why is look it? on the yeah. side. What does it say there? Where's the difference? So, you know, getting them to yeah. talk about their learning, but they just, they love that. Anyway, that was, that was gold today because it was like, yes, they remembered, you know, density because we yeah. had a little activity. And those moments are so valuable. Those are the ones where you're like, yeah, I did that. I got them. That's right. One more thing. Uh, one of my students went to this Festival of the Child. I think it was here in Yukon mm -hmm. recently. And uh, this is a group called uh, Tech Joy NT, Create, Tinker, Learn. And they're based in Oklahoma City. Video game design. They've got some summer camps. I just got a phone call yesterday. It's weird from uh, just kind of out of the blue. A woman uh, called me and said, hey, I heard, you know, found you online about you know Minecraft, you do camps. I was like, not yet. Um, but anyway, I'm going to give her a call and tell her about this because she she has what is that grand, called again? A grandson. It's called uh, the website is Tech Joy and then NT the letter NT dot com. Yep. I'll put it in the show notes. And uh, so they they have a video online and they have courses on intro to two D two D games, one and two game production basics. <laughs> Card and board games, digital graphic arts, character design basics, and advanced. So, anyway, that sounds cool. And yeah. they're doing eight-week after-school sessions, and then also summer camps. 
Um, so it's, you know, more STEM awesome stuff. More yeah. people getting involved, and that's part of what we want to do is yeah. make those connections and let, let people know. Because a lot of this is going to happen outside our class, right? Or yeah. it's going to happen outside the Girl Scout, you know, little yeah. lesson that, that you're having them do. Well, we're, we've got about 25 minutes left if we kind of stick to our hour. Tell us, you, you already did a little bit, but you're going out to yeah. parts of Oklahoma. Where have you been? What kind of interesting places and <laughs> what kind of interesting STEM things have, have you been doing with girls around our state? Let's see. I've been to Weatherford. We did a great event in Weatherford with Swasu. Um, we wanted to start a Girl Scouts campus uh, group. Uh, we're trying to start uh, groups for so Girl Scouts, so girls can stay involved with Girl Scouts after they graduate high school. And so for people who don't, who don't know, tell what Swazoo is, because we've got folks. Who oh, are I'm out. sorry. It's no, Southwestern right. Oklahoma State University. Uh, as my good friend Lance Haggard, principal at Parkland, used to say, the Princeton of the Plains. <laughs> I hadn't <laughs> like heard that about his alma mater. <laughs> my daughter's alma mater too, so I'm quite proud of the place. But we we put on a STEM event out there. Um, for girls, uh, Daisy, which is kindergarten through cadet, which is basically eighth grade. And we wanted the girls to pick what the list in order of the science, technology, engineering, and math component that, uh, they were most interested in. And we held events out there. Now I know that's counter to what STEM should be, but we wanted to get these girls excited about awareness is important. You got to yes. get people aware. So we, uh, we had a great event out there. So I'd been in Weatherford, uh, off and on for a little bit. Just last week I had to go up to, uh, Enid, twice I did a, uh, STEM, uh, I don't know if you call it an event, a STEM day at Pleasant Vale Elementary, uh, teaching kindergarten through sixth grade kids different STEM activities. And then I went down to Chickasha. I've been going to Chickasha once a week for the last, uh, five weeks to do STEM programming for the YMCA. Down is that where you had that picture on your Twitter with the girls and yes. like the gym? That was an awesome picture. All of those, all of those activities. I do STEM lock-ins. I had a daddy-daughter event in Mustang where I went and we introduced some STEM activities, which I thought was very valuable. I mean, you know, boys tend to get a lot of this interaction with their dads, whether it's building things or anything like that. And I really think it's valuable that dads get in there. You know, that's what's great about you and your daughter doing the Minecraft thing. Uh, you know, taking that interest, whether it's building something, whether it's fixing a lawnmower or anything like that and getting your girl involved with that. So I was really glad to see dads having a daddy daughter STEM event to me was huge. And was and that then, Girl Scout sponsored? Yes. Uh, well, actually what happens is certain what are called community service teams. This is where all the troops in that area have one big like team leader. And then there's a step above that, um, where I come in, but they'll put on an event. Or a troop will put on an event, and uh, they like to do a lot of STEM stuff, which I'm quite happy to come, you know, help them with. And it was really neat because the girls got introduced to robotics at that event. They had the muscle. Did you get to robot. make root beer, root beer for them? Uh, we didn't do the root beer thing there. We did that at that same night. I had to drive down to Norman, and they did a Daisy Brownie, which is kindergarten through third grade age uh, STEM lock-in, and I made the dry ice root beer for them. And That's the great. Was, well, this is what was really neat. One of the ladies who helps out down there, um, she uh, is a research scientist for OU, and she was telling me that, you know, dry ice being um, frozen carbon dioxide, she said, do you realize that uh, a way you can tie this in for the girls is that with such higher levels of CO2, that's why a lot of the coral reefs are dying because the water is getting carbonated. 
And I thought, wow, I didn't know that. That's really neat. So now when I do this uh, dry ice experiment, that's another thing I can bring in and talk to kids about. So it was like, I loved it. I learned something that night. And um, the I've also, I had to go back to Enid to do a different school, and that was fun. We did the Lunar Landers there, and those kids just get so pumped. And i got to be honest, the, I, I know I always said this was an inappropriate reference, but I just love it because, for me, I feel like we, I, at a young age, you need to be the gateway drug for science, technology, engineering, and math. Get them hooked. And then it's up to school districts to have, quality teachers and quality things in place to carry them the rest of the way to keep them engaged and keep them involved because you and Amy and anybody else involved in elementary STEM can hook them, but are you going to keep them there? So school districts need to step up and make it not just a fourth and fifth grade thing or not just a K through four thing, but a K through 12. Even if at middle school and high school, they're making an elective they can choose from. We need to do that because we've got to keep them engaged in that sort of thing all the way through and make them more and more excited as they go without That's a doubt. Right. That's right. Well, and I just love the whole, um, you know, getting it beyond the classroom. And I, I'm going to get to go to the Kansas City Makers Fair this, yeah. this summer. I'm doing that instead of going to ISTE. And uh, my sister lives in Liberty with her family, and it's just north. And uh, we, we Tulsa had one and uh, we talked at our last STEM meeting about maybe an Oklahoma City one. There was a fella, Nathan, uh, who's with Oklahoma, Oklahoma Robotics. I interviewed him for a podcast a few years ago. They had talked to the Science Museum. But, you know, I think it's a huge part of learning and, and getting kids hooked into loving learning and getting excited about learning and careers is is stepping outside the walls of the classroom so i yeah. love how you're getting to advocate you know sometimes through schools but yeah a daddy lock-in you yeah. know uh doing the the dry ice root beer i and love for, that for me a part of that and i hate using this term but it's the only one i can think of part of that salesmanship is mm-hmm. saying it's not an evil word yeah but saying to the kids asking them are you an engineer and quite often they say no and i say guys you may not be paid as one, but you are one. I always tell them the story, and I love doing this little bit, where I say, when I was a kid, my grandma made the best chocolate chip cookies in the world. But she wouldn't want me to eat them, so she'd put them on a high shelf. And I'd say, that's a problem I had to solve. How would you solve it? Well, I'd push the chair over. Guess what? You just did what an engineer does. You solved the problem. And I said, right. you've done it your whole life. Have you built a bicycle ramp or a skateboard ramp or anything like that? You've engineered something. I said, so you may not have had the math, you may not be paid for it, you may not be called it, but you have the mind for it. And I relate the fact that baking is chemistry. If you've ever had, you know, chemists, tend, they need to follow exact directions in order to make some of the things they do. I said, that's what you do when you bake something. So I try yeah. and relate to them that they already do these things that scientists and engineers do. They just don't get paid for it and they're not called it because they haven't finished the schooling. And you can really see kids' eyes light up when you let them know, hey, you can do this. You just proved it to me. Look what you just did. And that's yeah. what I love doing is getting kids just pumped up about, you know, getting involved with that. Absolutely. And getting them to use those words and the words when we form our identities and who we are. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of that does come from our family, but it's something that school helps develop, too. Yeah. And it's it's powerful. Okay, so I've thought of two things. One is about a blog, and one's about a chicken. It's hanging from the ceiling. Oh, here. Yeah. <laughs> first, first one about a blog. So it's you know you've gotten on Twitter, and if folks who are watching are not following Chris, Chris W. Simon on Twitter, you know he's sharing a, a bunch of great stuff. That's how I saw those photos working with the girls and yeah. and lesson ideas. 
So just a, a challenge to throw out to you, Chris, would be to think about maybe having a personal blog because, you know, Brian yeah. Crosby, who uh, is the Nevada STEM coordinator, uh, and I've known Brian for a number of years, you know, the blog provides this long, this bigger space to share things. And, um, you know, it's just been transformational for me since the mid 2000s to be able to read different people's blogs and then also yeah. writing because there's there's it's good good stuff happens you know when you reflect or whatever so I've, I've been jotting down notes and putting some of this in the show notes about the roller coaster lesson the lunar lander yeah. lesson um but that'd be something you know to think about because i know you yeah. you're starting to get the girl scouts you've been working on them as far as the idea of blogging and reflecting and how that you know, can go with their badge work yes um, right so, all right, sell this the story. I've got this. In fact, I, I can go mobile here because we're in the classroom. So here's here's the chicken. You can see him. That's right here. Yeah. You know, it's still it's still on the ceiling. And then if I go back, Chris is an awesome artist. And if you don't know this, uh, this is Chris's classroom that, that I inherited from him. So here's Albert Einstein on, on the back, you know, back wall, and he's twirling a chicken. All right. So the fifth graders have, have asked or the fourth graders who didn't know you have asked me about this and I have inadequately told the story. So can you right. share, share the story? <laughs> I doubt that you've told it inadequately. You could probably make up just about anything you want and it would work for me. Uh, here's the way it goes. Um, I'll never forget my very first year. I went from first grade to fifth grade. My very first year teaching, you know, I'm going into fifth grade. Going, Come on, friends, let's light up and everything else. And, you know, that's that's nonsense for fifth graders. Right. They don't want to hear that. So I was having a very frustrating first couple weeks of my transition into fifth grade. And I I thought back when I was a little kid, when we had UHF channels, the Groucho Marx show. Um, I think it's uh, you bet it's your life or it's your life, something like that. I can't remember the exact title. He always had this chicken pop down, you know, with the word of the day. The word of the day is. And I was a little kid, but that just made me giggle all the time. So I wanted to just remind myself, hey, sometimes you just got to laugh. You know, it's okay. Just take it easy. Just relax. Well, I'm also kind of obsessed with space. So when I had I had all these planets hanging in my classroom and I hung the rubber chicken up in there. And what I told the kids after a while was, guys, which my challenge to you is one of you, when you leave here, is going to go and be an astronaut or a NASA engineer or something like that. And my goal, my dream, my wish is to have you put a rubber chicken in outer space so that my model of the solar system is exactly the way I have it in my classroom. So I kind of issued it as a challenge to my kids to uh, put uh, a rubber chicken into space for me. So that's yeah, how that all right. goes. Well, we can continue. Yeah, continue the continue the challenge. <laughs> Sorry about the cough there. Um, if you've got uh, other questions, please go ahead and drop them in and I'll kind of pose those to Chris. We've got about 15 minutes left. We're going to save, you know, last five to seven minutes for Geek of the Week because we've got a few links. And we are, by the way, very much borrowing from a great podcast series called The Seedlings that is in Maine that Alice Barr and Cheryl Oaks and Bob Sprankle do. And they always do geeks, Geek of the Week links, which I think is kind of a fun, fun thing because we're always, you know, kind of running across uh, new stuff. In terms of lesson ideas, Chris, anything yeah. you've mentioned, a, a bunch of stuff already. Um, where, is there a place as far as Girl Scouts that where you're sharing these or what and what other lessons like and I, I, if Kylie isn't still with us, she may maybe you're looking at this later. Yeah. 
give give Kylie and me, you know, some some ideas for start of the year. And she's doing K four, so she's going to do some of the younger kids. She's kind what of are all, all over. Yeah. Yeah. What are what are what are some other ones that you haven't maybe mentioned yet that that you found are are great to hook kids and also in, engage in in problem solving and kind of well, interactions that we're looking for. When it comes, you know, I uh, at first I struggled, especially with what Kylie's going to be doing, the kindergarten, first grade, or our Daisy age group, and. I discovered that they sometimes don't have the facility to do uh, the folding or the cutting or the bending. So I tend to find those STEM projects end up having more of like sometimes a science focus with the math component and everything else in it. I'll tell you about one that I really loved and I was amazed. I went out to Weatherford to a troop and I did this and these girls just blew me away. Um, it's called uh, oh, soil samples. And the idea is to talk to kids about what a plant needs to grow. So yeah. we talk a little bit about the science. We say, you know, lawn, light, air, uh, water, and nutrients. And I explain to them what that is. And uh, we talk about soil. And I lay out three different samples of soil. And what I do is I divide the girls up. Typically, a troop is uh, like 12 to 15 kids. So I'll divide them up into groups of three or five or four or five. And I start them off. One is at a station of topsoil. One's at a station of clay. Uh, and one's at a station of sand. And we, I say, guys, for the next five minutes, I want you to look and touch and feel and smell this soil. And then I want you to look at it through the magnifying glass. And then um, I have them rotate, and I uh, have that next group look at the next batch, and then we do it one more time so that they've seen all three. And of course, the way I teach going around to each group, I say, what does that look like to you? What does that smell like? Do you notice how big the grains are there? Do you notice this? What do you think? You know, and I'm, I'm constantly asking that so that they're talking and constantly thinking about some words. And then I have them sit back down and we write the words on the board. So they're getting some vocabulary, which I think is a good common core thing for, <laughs> for teachers out there. But more importantly, they're doing something that scientists do observation. And they're writing down observations. This is their introduction to that observation component. So then uh, what we do is we bring the math and technology in by doing a little water component where we get a digital scale. We fill a cup halfway with each of the different soils and we place it on the scale and we zero it out. And I let the kids do that. And then I ask one of them or however many to pour water in until it starts to pool up on top. And then what I do is we, we had first put our initial weight. And then we write down what the weight is after the water's added. And we do simple math. Now, are they up there working the board? No. But I'll say, okay, guys, what's seven minus three? I can't remember. And these girls were great at subtraction. And these were kindergarten first graders. And we were able to do the math that way. They were able to read the digital scale. They were able to do all of those things. And then they were also introduced to the science part of it. Now, the thing, the downside of that is they're not really building anything, but more importantly, they're being exposed to the uh, scientific way of thinking, collecting data, writing data down, making observations, using technology, using mathematics. So yeah, that was, to me, one of the best uh, one of the best ones that I've done right now. We do not have a central point on our Web page where we've got all of our lessons collected. But I if anybody wants them, just tell me I'll send right. it to you. Yeah, and you guys can use it. Yep. And I love that connection to life science. When when Henry Ingerson from uh, Wells, yeah. Maine, was on with Amy and I, mm -hmm. which, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned Amy has a, a baby shower at their school, not <laughs> for her, but for their teacher. So, you know, we 
we're, normally we'll have more than just a couple of us. But but Henry really he's doing all kinds of citizen science stuff and citizen scientists. And, you know, they've got a project in Maine where the kids will take pictures and they'll go out and identify the leaves or yeah. identify the tree or the, the animals and stuff like that. And that's one thing I want to do more of next year is going outside and, um, you know, with weather, too. I, we didn't do a weather unit. I mean, I, I'm all into coding. We're doing Minecraft, you know, that that's and then there, there's the building engineering stuff. But I, I love that with the soil and yeah. Getting outside, right, and and going to experience the the world around us, observing yeah. the scientific method. Um, anyway, th- that that's a good encouragement. And I think, have you did you do some weather stuff with Girl Scouts yet? Because that's a huge. We got the National Weather Center at Norman. You know, yeah. I talked to Amy. I said we should coordinate on a weather unit next year and then do a field trip for some of our kids because there it is. It's just a, 30 minutes away. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. That is something I wanted to talk about. So I'm glad you said that. Um, what I plan to do on our STEM page for Girl Scouts Western Oklahoma is I want a specific page that lists opportunities, and these are opportunities for anybody who wants them, really, of um, women in science that are willing to either come to a troop or a group and conduct an activity or provide a um, uh, class trip or something like that, a field trip opportunity. I was at a day uh junior cadet stem lock-in last friday down in norman and the thing that was awesome was they had a stem panel of women where um the girls could ask questions of these professionals in the stem fields we had a somebody from the national weather service we had a computer programmer we had uh an agent from osbi who was a forensic scientist we had a uh, environmental scientist who works in the field and we had um, a bridge engineer and I'm telling you what, it was so valuable. Of course, I got every business card. But the lady who has the association with the National Weather Service, tell me this is not a great field trip. She was talking about the fact that at 6 a.m. and at 6 p.m., they launched their weather balloons. And she showed the girls a weather balloon, and they got to hold it, and they got to see the data machine that goes up with it. And tell me, to have kids out there at 6 o'clock when they launch that weather balloon, with the data, with the transponder on it and watch it go up and then uh, watch the data as it's coming in, that is a valuable field trip. And that's something that anybody could do, any classroom, anywhere. And and OSBI, uh, the lady I talked to there, she says they offer an opportunity. They'll come out and set up a mini crime scene and have kids do the things that they do. So, yeah. So, I mean, the opportunities out there are immense and you know what's really cool about the weather balloon thing and talking about doing a stem activity outside i read this online when i was still at ies and i haven't had a chance to do it yet but i've seen it a couple times online and i'm like man i've got to try this is you take a garbage bag a black one and you pump and it's got to be a cooler day too it can't be like 80 90 it's got to be about 60 70 degrees and you use a hair dryer put air in it and seal it and then you go outside and because it's black, it's absorbing heat and then the air in there starts to expand. So what does it do? It starts to float. You've got a mini hot air balloon that's going up in the air. Now, of course, you've got the environmental problem of you're, you're going to end up, you know, with trash laying somewhere, you know, maybe a state over. But I thought, man, talk about that is fantastic. I would love to see something like that. You know, that's great. Well, I just had a connection uh, the other day thinking about. Mondays, the way we got our schedules, my normally a planned day. I've subbed a few times this semester, but uh, <laughs> yeah. you know it sometimes works out. I did this week where I had a planned day, got my Minecraft lesson already. 
Um, but, you know, maybe having a guest speaker come in because we could yeah. do some select kids. It's hard when you've got, you know, 11 classes or you had 22 and yeah. you don't want to separate. You know, you just you can't ha- having somebody come in and do something, you know, 22 times over two days. It's just not going to happen. But well, anyway, well, that, that may be a way if you, you're building that list of speakers, yes. you know, where we could get somebody. You had the prosthetic leg developers yes. and, and folks yes. with prosthetics come, which is very impactful. Anyway, yeah. I think because I that's another missing piece. I I haven't invited anybody from the community in, and it would be awesome even just to do it once. But if we could do it more, that that's a great list you're building. So yeah. you're convicting me to do some weather stuff next year. <laughs> I'm trying. You you've encouraged me to do so much. It's funny because I would never wanted to get on Twitter or anything, and uh, you you you've always pushed me to do more stuff, which I appreciate. And I that's you know I love uh, being around you because it was funny. I watched Amy on one of the podcast and she said something about um you were convincing her to come out and try it was i can't remember exactly what it was but she was coming out to try something new and i said that's wes in a nutshell he encouraged you to try stuff all the time you know like i got on twitter now i love posting stuff and things that i did on twitter and it sounds like a simple thing to other people who've done it a lot but for somebody who's not done something like that and maybe doesn't want to look stupid or anything like that to be brave enough to have that push you know, and I love learning about the five photo fairy tales and all that ebook stuff, stuff that I was able to bring to my class that really, you know, uh, I thought strengthened my uh, STEM program when I was at IES. So I thank you for that. You did that. Well, we, it's, we all need encouragement. We did this play date event this, this last Saturday night and we had 21, you know, teachers come and it's just, we just, we need to do more collaboration. So, uh, oh, last night. If you get a call from more schools, uh, that's okay. my fault. I contacted them and told them, hey, you got to get together with Wes Fryer because he'll help you. He'll knock oh. you guys out from when it well, comes to technology education. I said, you better call him up. So they took your number. So. Well, the ed camps and then the play dates and just the local collaboration, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's important. Well, let's do Geek of the Week. I think we got officially about three minutes. We may go a minute or two over. Um, you want to, you want to go, you're the guest and on oh. Seedlink, we always have the guest <laughs> first. So I, I dropped these links onto the, the Google Plus page if you guys are watching live. Uh, tell us about your Geek of the Week. Well, it's funny. I get this great um, email comes in uh, twice a day. Typically, it's called STEM Connector. One of them focuses on um, STEM education, STEM news and businesses and stuff like that. And one of them STEM tech, where it's just tech stuff. In between one of those two, um, they said they had a nice little link to a story about Pier 9. Um, oh, what's it called? I forget the exact name, but the link is on the page. And what they did Autodesk's was, Pier 9 workshop. Okay. There you go. Yeah, Autodesk Pier 9 workshop. And what they did was they've got every single manufacturing device you could think of, laser cutters, 3D printers, things like that. And they have people who work there who can teach artists and residents to make things. And what's really incredible is you see some of the creative stuff that when artistic people get a chance to learn how to use technology and how to build these incredible things, it's just, it was mind blowing to me. Some of the really neat stuff I called it in my tweet that I did on it, uh, steam and maker fair, our maker movement on steroids, because it really was like that. Some of the stuff that you see, you're just like, that is so creative. It's so out there, you know? So I shared that with everybody. I hope you, uh, hope you enjoy that. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, my geek of the week th- th- here, this is a little Twitter thing. Uh, I've gotten to meet Jason Neifer, who he's now um, the dir- the instructional director of the Montana uh, Virtual Academy, uh, Montana, uh, you know, secondary teacher, really innovative, creative guy. So, you know, sometimes I'm like, hey, I wonder what Jason's doing. So I just check out his Twitter feed and he's been blogging for NCCE, which is the North Northwest, uh, you know, educational technology group shares a tweet and uh, I end up sharing part of this video with my kids today. And I will tomorrow as what I call a curiosity link with testing and everything. I kind of got off this, but about a month ago I started. This one is a panel from the Milken Institute and it's about seven minutes and 30 seconds. It starts and, and it is a little dry. I've since found more exciting with even more media video. But on this panel, there, it's an hour long. I listened to it. I uh, didn't watch it in the car, but I, I listened to it driving, you know, to finish it coming to school today. First guy talks about planetary resources, mining asteroids, and we're launching rockets. And so the connection to kids is, hey, guys, there's real folks right now launching rockets. They're going to be sending robots into space to do this mining and and they talk about metals. We're doing Minecraft, right? And we're yeah. saying well, some of that's real. And somebody says, well, zombies. Well, obviously, zombies in Minecraft aren't, don't think are real. Although if you go to Haiti, they may give you another answer. But, you know, getting resources, digging them out of the earth, the environmental impact of that. You know, anyway, there's different connections that we make. So we just watched about four or five minutes of that video. But it goes on to talk about 3D printing tissue and the yeah. dream of printing organs, you know, for transplant. This stuff is really incredible science fiction that's, you know, becoming real. And then the last one, the guy from IBM, he's talking about Watson and how Watson, you know, is this computer that was on Jeopardy a year or so ago and beat the the two people. And he says he talked about them as 20 watt brains. Like that's what our brains use is basically 20 watts of energy and, and how much it takes to run Watson and the millions of processors and, um, you know, it just it starts you thinking about how quickly because Watson can learn and yeah. make decisions. And they're saying, oh, this is going to be great for planetary resources because the 50 million miles or whatever away that this near Earth asteroid is, it takes light five minutes to go there. So you have you can't be on a joystick like a Xbox controller. <laughs> you know, these robots need to be autonomous and making decisions. And anyway, it gets you thinking about Avatar and the Terminator and how. Else. 2001, you know, I mean, yeah. we're close, guys. We're really close to Arthur just- C. Clarke, the, you know, yeah. the, the laws of robotics that he, I mean, really science fiction leads the way to innovation. I mean, if you think about it, Star Trek, all, I mean, that's where we get our ideas a lot of times. You know, I cannot wait. I used to joke all the time when you see those Geico commercials where the guys are in a tough situation and then they, uh, and they teleport somewhere else. I'm like, well, we need to contact Geico because they figured out teleportation. But the thing of it is, think about something like that is actually going to happen someday. That's not, you know. That's right. Incredible. We're doing it with a command, bl- we're doing it with a command block in Minecraft <coughs> now, but you know what? It's, it's, it's crazy. Oh, it's incredible. So we need to wrap up. Uh, actually, we're getting a storm shelter installed at our house at the end of the month and our whole family, including our dog, is coming over to the Yukon place where we're all going to get inside and say, is this big enough? So that's, that's what's up next for me. Uh, Chris, what, what are you look? what, any, any closing thoughts? What's up next for you? What kind of hopes and dreams do you have for, for Girl Scouts of Western Oklahoma as well as for STEM education here in our um, state? 
as far as for Girl Scouts Western Oklahoma, I'm really passionate, especially about making sure uh, girls get involved with STEM and want to stick with STEM. And um, if you guys are interested in any sort of research done on that, why girls tend to not go into STEM fields and start to lose interest in middle school and high school, there's a link on the notes about uh, with a PDF called Generation STEM, which addresses those issues. The Girl Scouts Research Institute did a study, uh, which, you know, I as a dad of two daughters, um, it was important. It's important for me to make sure girls get involved and stay involved and want to be a part of STEM and everything else. So that's why I love what I'm doing. I love where I'm at. But I really just want to spread uh, the passion I feel for STEM to everybody. I, I want to, you know, I keep saying these almost inappropriately, infect people with that. Okay, with man, that you're an evangelist, a STEM evangelist. That's it. You know, get me my pedestal and I'll bang on the drum for you all day long. That's it. Yeah. Okay. But that's what I would like. Well, hey, thanks so much for uh, connecting with us and uh, encourage people to visit stemseeds.org. We'll have the show notes. I'll get those linked up here probably later tonight and uh, keep co- keep connecting, keep collaborating. And that's how we're going to keep on learning and trying to inspire these kids because they got to take care of us when when we're all old and, uh, you know, needing to be taken care of. That's it. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. You bet.